This morning's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1032 in the, uh, the Bibles. Jesus calls his first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by fishermen who, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little uh, from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to his knees, fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up onto shore left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bill. So this morning we're starting a new series on discipleship. And this is exciting. And it's good to have something to be excited about, isn't it? Something that uh, we can look forward to. Something that... No one can take away from us. No one's going to take this away from us. There's going to be no restriction that's going to stop us being disciples. And there's going to be no restrictions that are going to stop us looking at this in these next few months. So this morning, we start with this passage from Luke chapter 5. And there's two main characters, aren't there? There's one character, one person to follow in this story. And there's one person to identify with in this story. So we need to imagine this scene, and I want to take some time just thinking about what happened on that particular morning. So I want you to imagine that you are beside the lake. This is Lake Galilee. We went there uh, on a pilgrimage, and uh, this is taken from the shore in the morning, looking across, just like that morning when those fishermen came in from a hard night's work, and they didn't go back to Capernaum, where there was a key to tie their boats up against they went to a bay south probably of the little town because they had no fish to take ashore they had nothing to show for a whole night's work and so they just wanted some space they wanted some time they wanted to just clean their nets and perhaps mend some of the tears from the rocks at the bottom of the lake where the nets have snagged they've caught no fish all they've got to do is wash their nets they've nothing to take home to their families to feed their children they've nothing to take to the market so that they can pay their taxes 
it's not a great way to start the day. And then they're aware of a crowd approaching them. And there's a jostle and bustle of people following a, a rabbi. And they perhaps know that this is the rabbi that people have been talking about. This is the rabbi who preaches and teaches in the open. He doesn't go to the synagogues. He has this crowd who are following him. And they're a bit interested, so they look up from their nets and they expect to watch him go past. But instead of going past, he stops right where they are, in the bay where they are. And the crowds start to stop as well. They funnel past him into the little amphitheater that forms in that bay as it moves up towards uh, the hills. And the people start to sit down and the teachers still stood there. And then he politely asked Peter if he can borrow one of his boats. He sees Peter's boat. It's solid and functional, just like Peter is. And Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? And Peter says, sure. That's no problem. And he pushes it a little way out. And Jesus sits in the boat and he teaches the crowd. And the fishermen listen as well. They're not regulars at the synagogue perhaps, but they've got a teacher right there with them. So they listen to what he's got to say. And this teaching is like nothing they've ever heard before. This teaching explains things in a way that they've never experienced Jesus tells stories that makes God's words simple. They understand what he's saying and they're pleased that he stopped there to teach in their presence, in their little bay. All this time that Jesus is speaking, Peter admires him and he listens to him. He keeps him at a distance and this is okay, but as Jesus stops speaking, as the teaching ends, Jesus crosses an invisible line and steps into Peter's life. Because now Jesus says to Peter, go and put your boats out and put your nets in and see if you catch some fish. And Peter's thinking, but we go out fishing at night, Lord, for a reason. And we've been out all night and there have been no fish. They go out at night because... In the heat of the day, the fish don't stay near the surface of the water because it's much more dangerous for them. The fish come up to the surface at night and then they're ready to be caught. They're not there in the middle of the day. What's the point of going out in the middle of the day? But obviously this rabbi doesn't know anything about fishing. So Peter's going to show him that they're the ones who know about fishing. They don't need some rabbi coming along telling them what to do. He's going to show them they haven't got anything else to do. They'll put out, they'll fish, they won't catch anything and that will show who's in charge of this little bit of the northwestern part of the Lake of Galilee. It's not a great job, but it's Peter's job. He doesn't want Jesus coming in and taking over. So Jesus watches as Peter puts out in the boat and they let down their nets. And the nets are filled with fish. Filled so full that they start to break. Filled so full they have to call another boat out to just take the fish into the boat. And Peter knows that this is not just a catch of fish. This is a miracle. And Jesus is watching Peter from a distance. Peter looks over, he sees Jesus smiling at him because Jesus knows the motives in Peter's heart. Jesus knows that Peter wanted to show Jesus up, but instead Jesus is showing Peter 
who he is, what sort of a man he is. And Peter has some sense of self-awareness. He knows that there's lots of frustration and anger lodged deep in his heart. And sometimes that breaks out and sometimes he wants to make fools of those around him, just like he wanted to make a fool of Jesus. And now he sees all these fish in the boat and the other boat's there and he comes to the shore and there's Jesus, the teacher, who perhaps has got some words that will make Peter's life different. And Peter falls at Jesus' feet and begs for forgiveness. When Jesus gets up close, Peter finds his own life put into a clearer perspective. He's a sinful man with unclean thoughts. Jesus smiles at Peter and says, don't be afraid. You're going to be a fisher of men now. You're going to catch men instead of fish. Don't be afraid, Peter. And they left their nets and they followed him. All that they'd worked for, their whole careers, they gave them up. They left their nets, they left the boats full of fish on the shore and they follow Jesus. Two men with two different agendas, one perfect and one flawed. Keep them apart and there's no problem. Put them together and the sparks are sure to fly. Let Jesus into our lives and he will want to see change happen. He will want us to move on in our lives because he offers us a new way to live, freed from the frustration and anger that afflict us, knowing the peace that we can know if we become part of his kingdom, part of his plan. This is what discipleship is about. This is what a life of faith looks like. Jesus came to set us free, free from the lies that we've absorbed about ourselves, free from all the wounds that we've accumulated as we've gone through life. Jesus wants to set us free, set us free to be a follower of him. And we might all think, well, yes, but I need to get my life sorted out before I could follow Jesus. He won't want me like I am, but those thoughts are always there. This morning in our 24 hours of prayer, I got up uh, a little bit early and as I was praying, there was a crystal on my desk and God showed me this little crystal. I picked it up on top of some mountain somewhere and it's, it's a dirty crystal. It's just a bit of quartz that's got flaws and imperfections. It's got little sharp edges and it's got um, all the dirt rubbed and ingrained deep into it. And God said, that's what you're like. That's what I'm like. But somewhere inside, there's something that God is working on that's going to reflect his light. And I've not made it yet. I'm a sinful man. But there's something in there that he can work on and he can work with. And that's the same for all of us. We're never going to be perfect enough to be right to be one of his followers. But he's ready to take us as we are and work with what we've got to offer. And so what's this discipleship about? What's the term mean? What's it about? I went to a 
conference at the cathedral, and it was a day on discipleship. And uh, it was led by some people who were, who were lovely, and they had lots to say about discipleship. And, and, and at the end, we asked them, what's your definition of discipleship? And they said, oh, we don't know. We haven't got a definition. And it was like, well, you've just spent a day talking to us about it, and you haven't got a definition of what it's about. So what's our definition of discipleship? Well, we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to come up with a very simple definition that we hope everybody can go away with. And we're going to work with this definition over the next two or three months. But the word discipleship, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, the word for discipleship was a Talmudine. Let's all say that so we get it into our heads. A Talmudine. A Talmudine. That's what the disciples were. And it can be translated as a follower or a student or an apprentice. It wasn't just someone who took notes. It was someone who was much closer to the teacher than that. It wasn't just someone who followed someone, it was someone who was with someone. It wasn't just any of those things on their own. It, they were an apprentice. And the Talmudim were usually the brightest of the people in any generation. By the age of 12, if you get your Bibles uh, and have a little feel of those Bibles, by the age of 12, the students who were going to go on to be Talmudim would have learnt by heart the Torah, the first five books of our Bibles. And by the age of 15 or 16, they would be expected to know and understand the whole of the Old Testament. They would be expected to be able to repeat large portions of the whole of the Old Testament off by heart, without any question, without any hesitation. It took a very clever and academic mind to be able to do that. But in their culture, in their society, this was what people aspired to. This was what people wanted to achieve in life. They wanted to be a Talmudin. This was the career choice that all the parents wanted. It wasn't about getting into a football academy, a ballet school, or a youth orchestra. If you were a parent, you wanted your child to be a Talmudine. And in that time, the rabbis were respected and revered, a bit like pop stars or football celebrities now. They drew a crowd. We see that with Jesus, don't we? Jesus draws 5,000 people who come to listen to him. And if you were a student, if you were looking to become a disciple, you would pick which of the great rabbis you wanted to be a follower of. And then you would go and try and get close to them. You'd go and try and get an interview with them. You'd try and sit down together so that the rabbi would try and work out if you were bright enough, clever enough to be one of his followers. There were no transfer windows or agents fees, but it was a bit like signing up for a football team. It was that good. Were you going to get into the squad of this rabbi? A bit like playing for a great coach. It was that exciting. Some of the rabbis had 70 disciples who would follow them wherever they went. Jesus picked just 12. He picked 12 for a reason. He knew what he was doing. And if these Talmudim were successful, if they were accepted by the rabbi, 
then they lived with their teacher. They spent all their lives with them, eating, drinking, sleeping. Everything was done with the rabbi. And so as they followed them along the road, there was a Jewish blessing of the first century that said, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. This was what they were aiming for, literally to be covered with the dust that came from their rabbi's feet. As they walked, they wanted to walk closely with their teacher. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it, that a religious leader would be the most important person in society. I doubt that our lovely Archbishop Justin worries about getting recognised as much as Elton John or David Beckham. Put those three together and we sort of know who's the most popular, don't we? It would be odd if Justin was the top, Elton and David were down here somewhere. We know the way our society works, but in their society, it was different. And to be part of a great rabbi's team was something that everybody looked to try and achieve. Perhaps it's a good thing that we don't have such great uh, religious teachers to look up to because we know that all of us are weak and all of us will fall short of the glory of God. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi. Jesus is the one who we want to be our teacher. So what do we mean by discipleship? Having said all of that, seeing that the people wanted to be disciples, spend time with the rabbi, what are we going to say about being a disciple? Well, for us, we're going to choose this definition of discipleship. That discipleship is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. This is what we're going to use. That's it. That's discipleship. But that's an entire life's adventure. An adventure that will require all our effort and our energy. It's not just a Sunday event. It's a way of life, isn't it? Making Jesus the heart of all that we seek to do. To live this way means that we need to be transformed. And you might say, well, is that possible in this modern, digital, messed up world? Is it possible that we can become disciples in the same way? And the answer is yes. It is, through teaching and practice and living in community and the work of the Holy Spirit at work within us, Jesus in us, we can become this beautiful outpost of God's kingdom that God wants St. Jude's to be. As we recover our humanity in apprenticeship to Jesus, God comes and he's with us and he inhabits this space and people come and they're entranced too. But it's not easy, is it? It takes practice. It takes commitment. It doesn't come naturally. You don't just read the Sermon on the Mount and then suddenly you find you're able to live that life. It takes years of work and practice. But this is what we want for our church, that we will become disciples who are full-blown followers of Jesus. Because that's the call that Jesus made, wasn't it? For us to be his disciples, for us to come and follow him. 
not about following someone on Twitter where you pick a like on their photo and then move on with the rest of your life. This is following Jesus up close and personally. It's about spending time with him. Because if you want a relationship with anybody, you need to spend time with them, don't you? So the first and the most important thing about being a disciple is spending time with the teacher. We need to make space in our days for Jesus. We need to have times when we connect with him. That might be reading his word, that might be listening to podcasts. That There's so many ways to connect now that we can make use of. But we need to spend time with Jesus. And then we need to spend time in conversation with him. That's what prayer is. Spending time in conversation with God, with Jesus. We need to be a people who pray. Yesterday in our 24 hours of prayer, we had 29 people praying for an hour. That's a brilliant commitment. But why not have a hundred of us praying for, 20, for an hour during those 24 hours of prayer? We could do that. That's what we want to become, a people of prayer, a people who spend time with Jesus. And we want to do this in the way that Jesus did it. So Jesus formed a small group, didn't he? He chose those 12, and he chose 12 because the interpersonal relationships between 12 people is the perfect number for a group to form. And Jesus knew that because he's Jesus. And he got 12 together, and we want to form small groups of up to 12 people who work together, who do life together. We call them life groups. And you do life together and you do life with Jesus in your life group in the middle of the week as well as on Sunday. And all through the week, you keep in touch. And our life groups uh, have taken a bit of a battering during the pandemic, but they're still going and they're still thriving. And most of them are now on Zoom. And if you want to join a life group, then speak to me after the service or... Uh, send me an email in the week and we'll get you linked up to one that works for you. So we spend time with Jesus as individuals. We spend time with him in groups. And then we meet for teaching as a crowd. And that's what these Sunday mornings are about. And we want the teaching that you get to be challenging and equipping. We want these, this sermon series to move us forward as disciples. Because that's a great thing to do this year. When we can't plan very much else, we can plan to become disciples of Jesus and we can make that happen because he's going to be with us no matter what. So let's go back to that shore beside the lake and just remember that for each one of us, Jesus has a part for us to play in his kingdom. And his invitation is to each one of us. Everyone is included doesn't matter if you're here for the first time in St. Jude's or if you're here for the 400th time. doesn't matter if you've never read the Bible or you've read it so often that its pages are falling apart. You don't have to worry about getting your life sorted out or whether your life is still a mixed up mess of emotions and chaos. Jesus calls you. He's got this invitation for you. He wants you to be on his team. It's a bit like... and my first sermon of the year and my first sport analogy. It's a bit like, um, as I've said, joining up with a team, being part of the coach. Imagine Gareth Southgate ringing me up and saying, I want you to be on my team. 
That's as good as it gets. That's the highest we could get. Or perhaps Eddie Jones. Uh, Eddie Jones brings up, wants me to play rugby for England. Jesus wants you to be on his team. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. It's an astounding invitation. It took people's breath away back when he first made it. And his disciples included men and women. They were a bigger group than just the 12. They became his apostles. He got a bigger group together. The disciples, he had 72 who sent out to do works. There was all sorts of people involved. And there's still all sorts of people involved as his disciples now. We're not saying it's going to be easy. We're not saying that it's not going to be challenging. It will mean changing some of the patterns of behavior in your life. You need to make space for Jesus. And when you make space for him, there's less space for the other stuff. But the superficial, shiny stuff really doesn't matter so much. The stuff that lasts, the stuff that's eternal, that's what we should make our lives all about, isn't it? It will take practice. It will take community. It will take the Holy Spirit. It will take commitment. Just as learning any new thing takes commitment, whether it's the flute or a foreign language, you have to be intentional about trying to learn to do something new and become something new. But it is the most beautiful way of life that's ever been offered to humanity. And all we need to do is be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that he did. That's what changed Peter's life. And that's what goes on changing lives down to today. This is our invitation. This is the blessing that we're seeking. May we be covered by the dust of our rabbi. Let's stand and just spend a moment thinking about that commitment for ourselves. Thinking about what that means for each one of us. What does it mean for me to become a disciple of Jesus? And Lord, as we stand before you, help us to see that if you called Peter with all his flaws and imperfection, Lord, you call us too. Help us to see that we don't have to wait until we've got our lives sorted out. But you delve into that deep mess that's in each of us and you pull us up out of that pit. Help us to see, Lord, that following you is not complicated. It's about being with you. It's about becoming like you. It's about doing the things that you did. And Lord, we want to say now that we're ready to join your team. We want to be signed up, Lord, for this commitment to be your disciples. Lord, help us to know that we're part of your squad, part of your team. Lord, we pray that in this year that we're going into, in this year ahead, we ask that we would be covered by your dust because we're walking close, 
closely behind you. We're walking with you. We're walking with you at the center of all that we seek to do and become. Lord, may we be covered with your dust and known as your people. May we be known as your disciples. 